0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 148. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics.
1: Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself.
0: Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay, and search for Lee's Comics Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift.
2: You remember them from your childhood. Cat for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad sack and little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Idea Productions: The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today.
1: Long title Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch.
2: Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down and songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross factorian plunged the last of his family's savings on a multi-seat tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. This changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Rock Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, format films, and the Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Disc Productions is available from Amazon and Bear Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copy today.
0: You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books. Please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I'm currently working on a Dino Writer's article for Back Issue Magazine and, of course, the Mad and Turtles books. My next book should be the Pac-Man book I turned in earlier this year. It should be out sometime in 2022. On today's show, rock photographer Daniel Kostin returns to have a lively discussion with me about The Left Bank and the new album he has produced for them. Here he is, Daniel Coston. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another Fun Ideas podcast, and today we have a returning guest who has some new news for a project he's working on. It's Daniel Coston, and uh, the project is concerning uh, the 60s group called The Left Bank, and I know a little bit about The Left Bank, but uh, part of this hour is so we can learn a little bit more, and maybe you can become a fan too, so... Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, yeah, good to see you again. Welcome to 2022 and all of its uh, adventures. So, yes. uh...
0: And uh, so my, I, I will tell you my history of the left bank. I mean, the two big hits they had, mm-hmm. uh, Walk Away Renee and Pretty Ballerina, slightly less so, uh, but definitely Walk Away Renee. If you don't know the group, You probably have heard the song somewhere it's one of those 60s classics that just gets played on oldie stations and things like that but what i didn't know and that's what we're going to kind of fill in the gaps of is they did like three albums i believe two back in the day and one in the 70s or 80s you can clarify and then uh they did an album where they kind of put all the stuff from 65 to 69 together and But there's a few odds and ends, assorted other things. Um, a couple recordings that I found weren't really left bank recordings. They're recorded under the name of Steve Martin, not the Correct. comedian Steve Martin. But they're kind of left bank recordings, and you can explain why that and explain how we got to the present day and uh, with no, unfortunately, surviving members as of 2020, so original members. So All take right. it away.
1: <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, the, the Left Bank story is complicated, uh, but I will give you the Cliff Notes version at, 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 as best I can. Mm-hmm. So the band did form in 1965 with uh, Michael Brown, uh, Steve Martin Caro, real name Steve Martin Caro, the singer, uh, Tom Finn, and George Cameron. And they coalesced at uh, Michael's father's studio. His father was Harry Lakowski, who ran World United Studios. They started working on some songs with a drummer, uh, Warren David Shearhorst, who uh, left within a few months. And um, they got together a few songs, including this song called Walk Renee. And the band had nearly broken up twice by the time they recorded the single. It was re- sold to Smash Mercury for $1,000. Uh, as a spec single and didn't really do anything for a couple months. And then somebody in the Midwest started playing it. Within three months, it was top five. It's now uh, a standard, a classic that it deserves to be. And then the story of the left bank really began. Uh, they were pushed out on the road, uh, even though they some of them were still learning their instruments. They were collectively, ranging from 17 to 15, Michael was going on 16 when he started. And uh, so uh, there was various... Um, Fall ins, fall outs. Um, They did get their first album out early 67. Uh, Without Michael, largely, they recorded Left Bank 2 in 1968, which I highly recommend. It's a great album. And they kind of wound down around 1969. Uh, As you mentioned, they did do some songs in 1971 under the, uh, the name of their singer, Steve Martin again real name steve Steve martin Mm Caro, and that actually is all the left bank that is my uh, songs are written by michael brown uh with tom and george and steve but Mm -hmm. due to contractual obligations they couldn't release it under the left bank name Mm -hmm. so um they did do another song a song called you say in 1972 without michael and then they kind of fell apart again went in their separate ways and then through tom finn getting a deal with um a, a label call or a, a publishing deal called with a cam america they signed a contract to record a new album and they went to long island and uh, lived up there for two-ish maybe three months recorded what were essentially studio demos for this album which became strangers on a train what you mostly hear now on strangers on a train was those demos they did do a few songs with michael Kamen in RCA studios in around late, I'd say August of 1978. Um, and then the project was essentially shelved and then was released on small labels in the US and the UK eight years later. And after that, there really was nothing to speak of and of the left bank until they tried to do a reunion around 2001. It didn't work out, but Michael Brown soon reached out to Steve Martin Caro and started going down to Florida where Steve was living by this point and started recording songs. And around 2002, there was two separate sessions, one in December 2001, another in March 2002. And uh, Michael released five of those songs on a small EP called Airborne. It was really, the tension of Airborne was they're gonna do a promo pressing, the idea of picking another label would pick it up, but a lot of labels didn't know the EP was available. So it really didn't uh, really be heard by anyone. Michael did release another six songs uh, later in 2002, and that was heard by even less people. I don't think that was even officially printed, but it was pressed up on CDRs and um, handed out to a couple people. And um, you didn't hear about anything about the Left Bank again until Tom and George revived the Left Bank name in 2011 and up to 2013. How I got involved with the Left Bank was I discovered them in the 90s love them and wanted to know what their story was because there was always an air of mystery about the band. It was like, what's their deal? Why did they fall in, fall out? And then I um, started putting together an interview with the members of the band 2001, 2002. I believe it was finally published in 2003. And it covered all the things with Airborne that I just mentioned. And I stayed in touch with Tom and George, uh, Tom Venn and George Cameron. And then I saw online that they were going to reunite and do these shows in Joe's Pub in 2011. And I just said, I've got to be there. <laughs> so I showed up and took, I think I bought pictures, I bought a ticket for the first show. And then the second show, they were like, you're here. Come on, stick around. Exactly. And uh, I kind of convinced, I didn't say convinced, but I encouraged them, Tom especially, to say, this is fantastic. This is something I've literally waited my entire life for please do more of this. So they did for another couple of years. They toured with the zombies in summer 2012. And then in 2013, they were going to do one more show. Tom was having back issues and there was a lot of things going on. I wasn't going to, I can tell you exactly the date. It was June 6, 2013. I wasn't going to go because it was my wife's birthday. And I really hated not, I, mean, I didn't like leaving her alone. And Tom called me and said, you need to be here Michael Brown's going to be here, please come. And -hmm. then proceeded to email my wife and say, please, is it okay if Daniel can come and play with us? And then he wrote her back and thanked her later for basically letting me go up to New York and play with him. And I got to see the last uh, public appearance of Michael Brown, uh, Tom Finn. And uh, after that uh, performance, uh, there was another version of Left Bank briefly with George Cameron and a singer named Sam Cogan. And George and Steve Martin-Caro were talking for years about doing something or trying to get some of these uh, recordings that we just discussed out. And then George sadly passed away from lung cancer in 2018. Steve passed away in January, 2020. Tom passed away after years of illness in June of 2020. Uh, I should mention too that Michael Brown passed away in 2015. Mm -hmm. And, um, i realized that i I wasn't sure if uh, a lot of these recordings which i had collected through the years would ever be heard and then i got back in touch with cheryl pavelski or pavelski at uh, omnivore recordings and cheryl and i met 20 years ago in a line for a show at south by southwest and the first conversation we had was about the left bank and airborne and somebody needs to release this oh my god it's fantastic and 20 years later we said well why not us so we went through the process this record which was just announced yesterday um, was it was a journey Um, it was originally planned to be a two cd collection of everything of the band from 1968 to 23rd 20 2011 excuse me and we realized that um, licensing all this was just going to be uh, it was near impossible and maybe what we had had found by this point because we we've continued to find new recordings or unknown recordings of the band as we were putting this project together and i'll get into that as well mm-hmm. and um we said okay let's focus on strangers on a train and the recordings that mike and steve did in 2011 and 2012 and that's the cd that we announced yesterday mm-hmm. uh, it was not planned to be announced yesterday but um mm-hmm. Let's just say, much like the last two years, um, things don't always go according to plan. And uh, it was a surprise release to all of us, but the response has been amazing. It is officially called Strangers on a Train with six uh, recordings with Mike and Steve. You can also buy Mike and Steve's recordings as a separate EP titled High Flyer. And I am thrilled that people will finally be able to hear these songs correctly, not as a bootleg, not as a, you know, 10 times copied down version you really these songs this recording um i don't like hyperbole as i'm about to say but these songs have never sounded better mm-hmm. and i want to thank uh, the man uh the person who did master them which is michael graves with osiris studio mm-hmm. and um uh, it's been a, it's been a journey uh so you know my thanks to all the folks involved with the left bank uh all the uh the estates and the uh Everyone, and uh, also Cheryl and Scott Schindler, who is my co-producer and wrote The liner Notes. Scott was also involved in the 2014 reissues that Sundazed uh, did of the first two Left Bank albums. So it is much like the Left Bank. It is hard to describe, but um, the journey's worth it. It has always been worth it.
0: Now, for anybody who hasn't seen the actual press release or hasn't seen the CD or anything else yet, how many tracks are on it and what does it kind of encompass?
1: Yes, it is 16 tracks. The first 10 are The Strangers on a Train album. We actually went with the UK uh, running order. We found that uh, it flowed better. It allowed you to hear the songs differently. Plus, there was one song from those sessions that got foisted upon the band. It was a song that they did not write. It was actually the second song uh, they had ever recorded they didn't write. And it was a disco song. They really (laughs) didn't want to do it, but the, um, the, the money men made them do it. Hmm. And in the UK running order, it pushes it to the last track on the album. So essentially, uh, it allows us to put Queen of Paradise as the outlier Hmm. that it always essentially was. So it is important that it's out there, that people hear it, but know that it was not the band's favorite. Hmm. Um, Then we have six songs from the majority of the songs are from that Airborne EP. But then there's a couple of songs that they recorded in March 2002 that I just really felt deserved to be heard. One is called uh, Buddy Steve. Uh, the song may or may not have been written by Michael Brown about Steve, but it is Steve singing about Steve. Uh, I will tell you that Tom Finn, who plays bass on the song, firmly believe that it was, the song was about Steve, even though Yvonne Vitale, uh, who's uh, Michael Brown's uh, widow and mother's two sons and thank you to all thank you Yvonne and the kids for being so good to me um, Yvonne has told me no that song was not written about Steve so um, mm-hmm. as many things with the left bank um, the, the truth is open to conjecture but uh, songs like that and uh, meet me in the moonlight which mm-hmm. um, Michael originally did with uh, Ian Lloyd in the 70s hearing it sung by Steve Martin Steve Martin Carl mm-hmm. it's a whole new experience And it just, it deserved to be on this collection. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: obviously you said it was, uh, you had enough for like two CDs and you had to pare it down. Uh, Was it mainly licensing that made your choices or did you just truly go for the best if you could?
1: It was licensing, but then we had to fall back on what we felt was the real gems of the collection. I mean, there's some things that, uh, there's some things I really hope get, released uh, as a standalone release down the road. And that's what I'm looking forward to. There's essentially 28 songs that Michael Brown uh, recorded uh, as demos with the Beckys, which was his post stories project. Um, there were three records or bands that uh, Michael Brown got involved with after, the left, after he left the left bank. It was Montage in 1969, mm-hmm. Stories, uh, which uh, some people know for the hit Brother Louie, although Michael was not involved with that recording. <laughs> um do rec- i do recommend stories first two albums uh which michael's a part of and the becky's uh the becky's uh included jimmy McAllister, who later became the guitarist on strangers on a train and hmm. for me jimmy is one of the glues throughout this entire project he's on strangers he's on one song buddy steve on the um uh high flyer recordings hmm. and um it was important to have him involved. And so it was like, okay, let's pair this back. What do we want people to hear first? Strangers on a Train, the Airborne Recordings, 0102. And we, we paired it back to that. But I would love to have a standalone release. The, the Becky songs, a few of which include Tom Finn, are fantastic. Um, we have found, yes, we, I mentioned Love Songs of the Night, 2 by 2 Someday Sony will let us license that. I look forward to that. <laughs> Um, there's some other songs. I will tell you that there; these are not um, all the recordings from the 102 area. There is more. We mm-hmm. just literally found more within um, pieces of more within the last two months. Just as we were finishing the CD, you know. Well, actually, because if there's enough interest, at least you can say, "Hey, we got some more stuff here." So exactly, exactly. And the, the thing that Tom and George always said to me was. Strangers never got never got a proper release. They yeah. did not consider those 86 releases proper. And they're right. They were kind of rushed out. It was a relics in the United the US, uh, Bam Caruso in the UK. They sound very muddy. They sound dubbed down many times over. And um I one of the things, even though they're not here, uh one of the things I would like to think that those guys would be happy with me about in this project is that strangers finally gets the attention and um, the, the, the the proper unveiling that it deserves. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, but, although it was not intended as a bookend, um, the recordings that Mike and Steve did in 01 and 02 are a fantastic bookend while sta- standing on their own two feet. So it's uh, I, I really look forward to fans discovering these songs and realizing there was much more to the left, the left bank than than what they've heard after nineteen than what they've heard before nineteen sixty eight. Yeah
0: when was Strangers on Train
1: originally released it was nineteen eighty six or it was released in eighty six. It was recorded in nineteen
0: seventy eight. Oh wow okay
1: yeah and, and
0: um you said it was kind of muddy sounding so I mean what did you do to bring it up to say 21st century levels or what well, did everyone do and if there was any overdubs or anything else in addition done to it.
1: Well, I will tell you that uh, as the, the master tapes have been passed through many different companies, they now are, you know, we license these through BMG, and BMG uh, is still looking for the masters. Um, I found uh, a, a tape dub um, that was obviously probably dubbed over in the 80s or 90s. Uh, not from vinyl, from the tapes. I think it was probably a dub of a safety copy. And that was really the, the copy I was looking for. And thank you for agreeing with me on that. Yeah, um, it does. and I have actually have a copy here of the Strangers album from the US and I had a, a dub version of the UK that a friend had given me many years ago. But when I found that the tape um, dub that was sounded clean, I was like, okay, we can work with this. Mm-hmm. So I sent it to Michael and said, you know, go for it. And uh, one thing that I also you know we there's a somebody asked me today it's like you know how much did you remix obviously remixing was not a, a possibility because we've not been able to find those masters but uh, even if we had I'm not sure how much of the, these mixes I would have changed because there was a lot of work that went into these recordings both the studio and the, the, the sessions with uh, with Michael came there certainly was a lot of work um, mm-hmm. into the recordings uh, that Michael Brown did you know Michael Worked and worked and worked on his mixes a lot, and while we have found uh, the multitracks or sorry the Pro Tools for a lot number of those recordings, uh, I wanted to respect his mixes as well. Um, so their their voices are still in my head, even though they're not here in this physical plane. They'll 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 tell me when I'm when they think I'm messing something up. So uh, I want I wanted to respect all their work, and I think that hopefully comes through in this this release, which is out February twenty fifth from yeah. Omnivore Recordings. Very cool.
0: Now, um, you know, again, uh, did they do, was there any sort of overdubbing or is it just a nice cleaner sounding copy of
1: it? Is that what this it's essentially comes from an, a, a, a much nicer cleaner sounding okay. copy. Okay. And, but, Cause some and people you know, are
0: like, what? That's heresy. If you, you know, have any overdub at all, but sometimes you need to like, Maybe they didn't record a drum part for some reason. You know, I'm not saying yeah. that, that happened. You know, and it would sound better with one. You know, something like that.
1: And, and sadly, all everybody except I should mention. I want to give a shout out to um, Charlie Caslin. Charlie was the bass player on "Strangers mm-hmm. from a Train." He's still out there, and I love talking to Charlie. Charlie was also the bass player for the 2011 to 13 Left Bank. So it was important to have him involved in this as well and continue his story. He's, I know he's thrilled to finally see this album get a proper release. So would I have been, uh, loved to have been able to remix or uh, have the guys add parts? I'm sure Tom would have said, yes, I want to do it. That was not um, <laughs> yeah. possible for a number of reasons. So, okay, let's present this album as, as best we can.
0: And, of course, you're of a biased opinion, but <laughs> if Slightly. anybody has the original version in any form, you should... Easily replace it with this one, or at least buy this in addition to that copy, you know, because it's it's superior sound. So
1: I would agree. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. I, and there, even there's there's some collectors like, well, but you know, I I've heard Airborne. I've got I got some MP3s from 20 years ago. Yes, you've been holding onto those MP3s for 20 years. That's um, yeah. <clears throat> again these just um, I really wanted these songs to be heard <clears throat> with a clarity that just had they'd not gotten the chance before. And I really think that Michael and Omnivore really have pulled it off on this, but yeah, I'm slightly biased, but um, I would want that too, as a fan, to be honest, you know, I, you want it when somebody says, we're finally going to release this album. We, you know, you don't want to sound just the same or worse than the, than the dubs you've had for years. Um, I'm going to also credit uh, Andrew Sandoval for his work on the, uh, the 1994 collection of the, uh, two left bank albums and additional singles that you referenced earlier Michael and you know, had the chance to do a lot largely remix and clean up the first album. That first album is really essentially mixed for AM radio. It's very muddy. And yeah. Andrew did an amazing job. Uh, again, he didn't add any parts to it, but he just gave it a new mix and a new mastering that it never had before. And for me, a lot of us, myself included, that is kind of the, 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 that's how we hear those songs now, because uh, like many people that in the 90s, I picked up that collection and said, oh, my God, what is this? Who is this band? Right. So um, I would like to think that whether you've heard Strangers and the Airborne songs or not, you would hear this and say, wow, I, I had no idea this existed. And hopefully, even if you do have it, you go, wow, I've never heard them this way before. That's
0: cool. Yeah. I mean, I even do that with bands, you know, that we all know and love, Beach Boys, Beatles, Monkeys, whatever, you know. They're putting out Sergeant Pepper again, let it be again, whatever again, you know, but, you know, each time, you know, they take care to do it a little bit better in most cases. I'll, I'll, I'll give credit that sometimes I don't, but, you know, in most cases I would say, unless you're just an obnoxious purist and says so it has to sound like that old muddy 1967 mix or something, you know, it's like, um, it's, sometimes things work better sonically if you listen to it. Um, in this, for lack of a better term, a CD bandwidth, I mean that's kind of an archaic term now, but I mean you know, there's so much dynamic range more than on an original vinyl record, even vinyl records made now you know, so
1: Yeah, and just so many more options and uh, I know some people have asked, is there going to be a vinyl version of this? I think we're still working on that. I hope there's a vinyl version of this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the collector and me, which, oh, by the way, I, uh, I should mention that uh, for 20 years, I had been chasing a copy of the Montage LP, and I just finally got it last month. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my, my, my um, collection is complete until this release comes out. So <laughs> um, um, my kind of, one of the ways I've gone into this, Working on this project is I would this is a, what I'm doing is what I would like to see other somebody else do. I mean somebody else maybe looks like me maybe doesn't did the things that I've tried to do. I'd say cool. That's always what I've, I've what I've wanted, and I'm just mm-hmm. happened to be the one that's hopefully you know presenting this these this, these songs uh, in their best light. Mm-hmm.
0: Now since we did kind of the overview yeah. of. Uh, their career and everything. It's just a few nitpicky questions that I'm concerned about or curious about because, you know, we mentioned them and stuff like that. So uh, they kind of had a few lineup changes, even from 65 to 69. What was going on with them? Was it the typical? in group fighting, or was it issues with the label, or both, or management, or what was going on?
1: Um, All of the above. Okay. Uh, first off, they, they met at a very young age, and the, the, the one way they knew how to communicate was by yelling at each other. And so they're like was, the Tron's. <laughs> without, without the really colorful studio outtakes, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just how they communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will tell you that each member of the band really did care about each other. They all really loved each other. They loved each other so much, they kind of could drive each other crazy. Mm -hmm. And so some people did fall in. They fell out Um, early on. As as I mentioned, Warren left early on. George was switched from guitar to drums. They got um, Rick Brand on guitar. Actually, uh, Jeff Winfield first. Then Rick Brand. Rick's on the first album cover. And um, then they fell out with Harry Lakofsky. Michael left. Michael came back, they did the Desiree single, that didn't work for a variety of reasons, or it's a fantastic single, it may be my favorite Left Bank record, um, mm-hmm. but it didn't hit the charts, Michael leaves again, they record Left Bank 2 as a three-piece, um, so, and then there were, yeah, Smash, you know, was essentially the budget division of Mercury. And, you know, they had a lot of good people on that label, many of which are in my record collection over here. Yeah. But um, they kind of released a lot of things like, well, if it's a hit, great. If not, well, you know, just that's another one on the pile. So um, So,
0: like if they had done better, even though I still think they did pretty good on that first album, yes. at least. Uh, but if they had done better, would they have moved to Mercury proper or would they, they have stayed on Smash? How
1: would that if be the good? record had not done well, they would have been done you would have okay. never heard from the left bank again. Okay. They, and the, uh, from my understanding, things that Charlie's told me and some other stories, they really thought, well, that was nice. It was cool. We did a couple, you know, they, I know they did a, a appearance in July with cousin Brucey. They appeared on a couple small TV shows, one of which I found um, many years ago. And uh, it's like the only footage I've ever found that has Warren David, a sheer horse, in the, in the lineup. Um, but Almost uh, as though it was deemed to happen. Somebody in the Midwest—I'm and fortunately not remembering the DJ's name—he started playing it. A few other DJs started playing it, and all of a sudden, the song took off. Yeah. Um, that's the magic. One of the beautiful things about the '60s—you could create a great song in the right place in the right time. Um, you could find an audience, and um, suddenly you're—you know—you're being lauded as part of a new wave of music. And you know, Leonard Bernstein uh, singled out pretty ballerina for praise on his inside pop show in 1967. And George Cameron told me he was watching that and, uh, uh, cursed out loud <laughs> when he <laughs> saw that because they, they did not see it. They did not know that was going to happen. Right. And, um, they knew they were creating something different. They knew they were creating something special, but there were a lot of other forces that pulled them apart. And in retrospect, it's amazing that they were able to do in that short span of time, what they did. Mm-hmm. And despite their differences they did get together here and there although usually largely fleeting um did continue to create great music
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, i'll I'll ask about that too but um i just want to be a little more chronological so it seems like in 69 for all intents and purposes they were done and what was the reason for that did they just want to call it a day or did the label say bye-bye or what was going on it that caused that definitive break at that time for at least it's actually
1: wound down the way the phrase that tom finn told me is that it just wound down it just yeah. wound down to stop um steve was tired of touring uh steve eventually moved to california um they did continue without him for a short time and then tom got tired of it left mm-hmm. george did the same i think um I'm going to mention a gentleman who I do miss dearly as well. It's Tom Fair. Tom uh, wrote their latter singles, Brian Hotel and Goodbye Holly, and toured with him at the end. And essentially, he kind of inherited the remnants of the Left Bank Band. I think it had a variety of names, but it, can, it just continued on as his band for another year or two. It was, it just kind of, they did do some recording in 1969. They, uh, Tom uh, pitched some songs to this movie called The Telephone Man and uh, recorded four songs, including um, two versions of Sing Little Bird Sing, which is on the second Left Bank album. And Tom was involved, Steve Martin was involved, was the last thing he did before he moved away. And uh, ironically, they went back to World United Studios and did, cut the strings with Harry Lukowski. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, all, and, you know um, one of my favorite phrases, and was the working title for this CD, was Everything Returns Again. And I think that is the first line of Desiree. And I, it, it applies so much to the band's history and to life itself, really. Uh, so it's amazing, even though a lot of these folks just fell out famously within a year, just, oh, hey, you know, come back in and play on this. So, um, yeah, just remarkable. So, And then they kind of, like, sporadically back and forth through the 70s. Right. So
0: what's, what's the story on those two tracks from 1971? I always thought they were left bank songs, but then I found out. That they were released under the name steve martin uh Correct. you know the uh was it the two by two and love songs in the night i don't which don't know which one was the east side but uh, i
1: believe love songs was the A side but yeah, you know, there's some debate about that yeah, um right. basically steve moved back to town and a lot of things lined up they got human kraken who was the guitarist on largely largely guitarist on the first left bank record famous session guitarist, uh, to play guitar in those songs. And Michael wrote them. The guy sang and played all the instruments. And, um, the management said, well, I think that name's still owned by Mercury. So wow. it was, those two songs were released on Buddha records as part of a, um, a collection called ultraviolet's hot parts. Um, essentially, uh, it's not quite a porno, but it's, uh, leans that way. Um, and that, that, that there was two so, those two songs released on the name steve martin there's two montage songs on there's two songs from bert summer who was the lead vocalist uh for the left bank during a very very brief, brief period in 1967 and uh, it's a fascinating collection but yeah it's it's the left bank and all that name
0: okay so it's a similar story like you know i'm working on a turtles book i mentioned it every show and stuff like that That where white whale owned the name turtles and even their names, Mark Bowman, Howard Kalen, but they yeah. couldn't use them right away. And so, yeah, they were under Flo and Eddie. Ironically, those same two tracks, Howard Kalen, years later, did covers of both of those tracks on his Dust Bunnies album 2006, which is where I first heard them. And, mm-hmm. of course, when, you know, Dust Bunnies had the effect of getting me to go and find what the original version sounded like of all these songs, so, you know, that he was doing because, you know, they may be hits for him or, uh, you know, favorites for him, but most yeah. of them I was like, you know,
1: <laughs> you know, where do you find this? Where did this come from? And, you, and yeah. it's always fun when people hear those songs and go, that's the left bank yeah. after 1968. It's like, yeah, they yeah. still had it. Um, yeah, um I had actually reached out to Mark uh and um Howard. Uh, when I was putting together the original Left Bank interviews for Big Takeover, I wanted some perspective and I just emailed them both hmm. totally random and said, "Hey, what do you think of the Left Bank?" and they both raved about those songs. <laughs> and even then like Mark said, "I'm going to record this someday." And there you go. <laughs> so uh, uh actually Howard said that. So um yeah, it's um it's always fun to hear when people discover these songs and how did they ever tour together the turtles and left bank or they just admired? they did a couple shows together in 1968 um tom fair i would think it was the first week and then tom played keyboards with them hmm. and he remembered uh mark Vol- uh yeah mark rolling around the floor like a little kid and it, it's a fascinating bill <laughs> i've never been able to find out the exact dates and where but here's where, weird, you know, another weird kink in that story hmm. is that show may have happened in Rochester, New York. And if hmm. that happened, my parents saw that show. <laughs> my parents remember seeing the Turtles, but they can't remember any other acts on the on the bill. Hmm. So uh, someday, if I'm able to get a, a more, uh, a, a more, um, uh, more information from the, the, the band's tour schedule, which is obviously the information is spotty at best, yeah. um, I would love to know. If that's that show. Well, going through the
0: Turtles uh, live thing, which I'm not really covering in depth too much. I mean, I talk about it in general terms in my book. But uh, they did a lot of caravan tours, as it were, you know, where they're just one of like 10 acts and they go and do like one or two songs and then you have Tom Jones and then Herman Servitz and, you know, (laughs) whatever. It was not like... know the turtles in an opening act or something like that you know and they still do that now when they do their happy together tour it's like Mm -hmm. you know five acts together or six acts sometimes you know it's like touring around and i don't know if the turtles ever did like a proper like we're big headliners you
1: know know? as opposed to the left bank and and actually that was to the band's detriment um the the best shows tom george bolt told me the best shows they did was the shows where they opened up for the beach boys Hmm. which meant that they had a, a real PA, uh, they yeah. had a shorter set, and which also meant they could do more of their own songs. And mm-hmm. I know they did a similar show with Mamas and Papas. I think that was a one-off with the Mamas and Papas, and they spoke well of that. Most mm-hmm. of the times, their management and booking agency put them out in um, uh, essentially, you know, glorified bars. Um, some some odd gigs, I actually found some info that the left bank opened for the for the temptations in Detroit in November of 66. I'd have loved to have seen that show. Yeah. Uh, but most times they were pushed out on their own um, with instruments that they were still learning. Um, Michael had, uh, I think it was the first prototype of an electric harpsichord, which apparently only stayed in tune for half a song. And I've, I've heard their shows were just utter chaos and they did a lot because they were having to play two sets a night. They only would do their own singles. Uh, they didn't do album cuts largely. I've, I've heard a lot of their set was Rolling Stones covers, whatever they were into at the time, both Steve and George were huge Rolling Stones fans. Um, so I wish they'd gotten to do more package tours. I wish they'd done more touring with the Beach Boys. Uh, the Beach Boys were really supportive. And I know, George told me that uh, Dennis Wilson wanted to manage them at some point hmm. and they, you know, they would sit on the side of the stage and, and sing their songs and like the beach boys would sit, sit there, watch it the sit and then sing pretty ballerina in four part harmony because <laughs> they're the beach boys. You know hmm. um, I wish they'd done more package shows like, that, and I think we'd have more documentation of their shows. There's I, I think I have in terms of high res photos. I think I have four to six hmm. total that I found. There's four that I found in the uh, new Rochelle high school yearbook in 1968,
0: mm-hmm.
1: another show I would love to have been that, they did a show for that high school in 67 with the Critters opening, and I love the Critters, mm-hmm. um, one of their autographed albums sits here on my desk, fair so, fair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's everybody, depending on the management, depending on the label, the situation, everybody had a different touring experience in the 60s, and if you were out there on your own, sometimes you had a PA, sometimes you didn't, sometimes you just you know, you, you, you ran two, uh, uh, wires together and said, okay, <laughs> this is what it is in, and all without monitors. So, um, yeah, it was, it's different for every band that we're, you know, we've, we've discussed on the show.
0: Now, um, for the Le- left Banker, its various members from like the seventies through up to let's say 2011. And then yeah. we'll talk about later than that. Um, did all the members, either separately or together continue performing and live performance or recording? Or did they all drop out for a number of years? Other, drop th- out. other than these recordings that we're talking about that you're releasing, of course, you know, but uh, uh, was it just like after Strangers on a Train, it originally didn't work out in 78? Oh. It's like they just most of them just hung it up, or did they just keep going, just saying...
1: They they just—they essentially hung it up. I mean, uh, Steve Martin never played live again after 1969. Um, Uh He did do um, there's some uh, recordings that you can find online of um, him and George and Sam Cogan doing running through some songs in Florida in 2018. But that was not a live show. That was essentially was a a workshop show, a a private show. And but Steve would not sing Left Bank, uh, sorry, sing Walkway Renee with any band. A number of bands tried to. Tried to bring him on. And he was like, no, you know, I'll sing anything else, but I'm not seeing walk away Renee. And he always found a way to not take the gig on. So eventually he moved to Florida and that's pretty much where he stayed until the end of his life. Tom, uh, Finn got into, uh, engineering. He was uh, engineer at bell records, um, engineered, including, um, I learned recently he, um, uh, the single by Gun Hill Road, uh, back when my hair was short. He engineered that, um, <laughs> you know, which I, I heard that recently. Is like, they still owe Ben Folds 5 a pony. <laughs> ben Folds 5 owes, owes them a pony. So uh, listen to that song. You'll hear what I'm talking about. Well, how involved
0: did um, Bill Records? I mean, did he do like Partridge Family and Fifth Dimension and uh, who else? Tony Orlando? <laughs> or, or just a, a couple of Perry years. Manilow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he mentioned a couple of names. I need to go back. But he was essentially kind of like, he would get called in to engineer various sessions. Mm-hmm. He then ended up working with Buddy Rich for a couple mm-hmm. of years, and yep. seeing uh, his shows. I mean, Tom told me, he said, I learned a lot from Buddy Rich. And mm-hmm. how about uh, managing and how to handle yourself? Eventually, Tom got into DJing to the point where he DJed um, uh, Ball for George. Sorry for uh, Bill Clinton. Um, uh, some major weddings. I've heard rumors that he um, DJed. McCartney's second wedding reception um, and a lot of these um, Tom largely refused to talk about because he wanted to respect the privacy of his clients but he was featured in 2006 as one of the top DJs essentially in New York in the world and you can find that article online and that's what he was doing um, pretty much until um, he got involved with George and this version of The Left Bank that toured from 2011 to 2013. George was involved in various things. He got involved with a theater company. He told me about it one day over the phone. And of course, that was the one conversation he and I had that I didn't record. And I, I still wish I had more information about it. He was very proud of that theater company. Um, and some of the plays that did involve songs from Tom Finn. And uh, Michael Brown never stopped even after Uh, the Beckys broke up. Um, He essentially kind of retreated to his home and never stopped writing, never stopped recording. Um, Worked on a few things with his wife, Yvonne. Um, There are a number of recordings out there and we're still finding more. Um, For me, that's one of the real joys of the um, sessions that he did with Steve Martin Caro. Is like you finally hear what he was trying to do in those post-Becky's years but then you hear it with Steve's voice and it's like oh this makes absolute sense <laughs> it's like you know it was like um one thing I really discovered in in doing the research for this project was like Michael was I mean he was he never stopped you know until the day he passed away he was always working on something but there's a really a nice period from the late 90s um to working with um Steve and then Tom um he continued uh, working with a couple other singers he even um, worked with uh, basically with, with those same people including tom and jimmy mcallister up to 2006 and we're still finding some of these recordings there's there's more out there and i'm you know i'm that's one of the things i, I look forward to um, still you know after all these years and all these months of working on this project. i i know there's more out there i'm actually waiting on a package right now that might have a 45 of a solo Michael Brown recording that he did in 1966. Wow. Uh, as soon as I hear it, I'll know, you know, Michael had a very distinctive sound. He was very heavy on the left hand. Um, you hear that in the left bank recordings and other, other, other recordings that he did. So I, I know as, as soon as I hear it, I'll know within eight bars whether or not it's Michael. Sure. So, um, you know, even though this release is finally getting to come out, um, the, work, the work goes on. But yeah, as I mentioned, and there's still more from the Mike and Steve sessions that are out there. And hopefully you'll, the, the folks who are hopefully watching this will get to hear this, get to hear all this music sooner than later. Mm-hmm.
0: So jumping to 2011, I'm not sure much at all on their various reunions. So you said they're together, at least part of them were together 2011 to 2013. How did right. that come about? And was that on their own or is that one of these package tours too?
1: No, it was really completely on their own. Um, George Cameron had seen the Facebook page that Tom Finn was running. Um, it's The Facebook page is still up there. And he thought, well, what if, you know, his plan was I'll form a band. I'll get Steve involved because I know Tom won't do it. And he got in touch with Charlie Kazlitt. He got together with Paul Alves, um, who was a guitarist for that band. Mm-hmm. And they started putting together a group and Steve, bowed out, stayed in Florida, and Tom got involved. Hmm. So um, um, within a period of, you know, within several months, they picked up Mike Fornital, uh, who many people know from many groups he's played in over, over the years. And he, his work um, to that band was so important. Uh, Mike does not get the credit or the love for uh, being the lead singer, basically the person who's going to stand in and sing those Steve Martin parts night in night out and it was not easy and um you know and they that ended up being a great band you know uh tom and george were still live wires you know um every show was a little different but that was part of the fun you know um i never expected the left bank show to be uh, you know perfect but you expect it to be lively. You expected it to be surprising because the music was surprising. The music was mm-hmm. all these different colors. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about those shows. It was like every night it was something different and some, some nuance I haven't heard before. So, and it was, again, it's something I never thought I'd witness. You know, the left, the left bank and their history was largely unknown even to people like myself. And was like, well, you know, I can only imagine what it would be like to see them live. Well, I saw a latter version six times. Right. you know and the last one was with michael brown coming out on stage to play Walkaway renee you know did they um vary their set from performance to performance or they pretty much largely. It? largely that again looking back at the set list there's um there was a song on strangers called lorraine which was a personal favorite of tom's that was only done at the 2011 shows when they mm-hmm. played in 2012 they did i can fly from strangers that was another nice one to hear um Uh, live at their the final show and that they did with that lineup did in 2013 they did claudia which was an outtake from strangers that sadly did not make this collection due to some licensing issues but uh every show was a little different and you know they did love songs of the night and two by two at those 2011 shows that was fantastic to hear (laughs) um and their shows with the zombies were fantastic because they they kind of went out and said yeah, you're, you may be here to see the zombies, but you're gonna, you know, be listening to us now. And they did, would do a 14 song set in 45 minutes. It was like, you know, they, I, I'm, they did not like the term baroque, baroque rock, you know. <laughs> but it was like, you know, if, if there was such a thing as like baroque goes punk, that was, it was just hearing all those songs together in this short of time or short span of time it was it was thrilling. It really was it is kind of ironic when you just
0: mentioned the zombies and of course they toured together, Uh, you know, they have like a similar history. They really only put like a couple albums out and then really have like two or three big hit songs. And then beyond that, you're like, you know, unless you're a hardcore fan now, of course, Odyssey and Oracle is like considered an all time classic, but anything that isn't even on that album is great on them too. So Mm -hmm. uh, do you find the same with left bank that anything's worth discovery um, that they never really did a bum track? To your knowledge
1: yeah. I, and it actually found, i found the left bank i'm sorry the zombies got better i yeah. do like that first album i love odyssey and oracle i also yeah. recommend this lp that they were going to put together after the success of time in the season it was going to be called rip mm-hmm. and it was a number of uh songs that they had not finished 65 hmm. to 67 as walking in the sun um a lot of things i don't think it, it, it found an official release back then eventually was released in the 90s as part of the zombie heaven box set but it was like oh wow why was this never released it was like you know it, there's i think there's still some things out there we're finding that's again the joys of the 60s it's endless yeah. You know, just when you think you've heard it all somebody comes along and says oh have you ever heard this or i just discovered this and it's like whoa what's that and that for me is r.i.p so for the folks right. who love the zombies but don't know r.i.p Highly recommend finding that. I mean, I'm going to give a shout
0: out to Andrew Sandoval again because he has a Welcome to the Sunshine podcast. That's where I've learned a lot of songs and a lot of groups. That I go. In fact, what I was doing for the longest time, and I should start doing it again, I just haven't listened to episodes for a bit, is I was listening to them and just jotting down titles and tracks. And then after I would listen to enough shows, I'd go on eBay and I'd scour the listings for 45s of those songs. And if yeah. they weren't, ridiculously expensive <laughs> you know, I, I'd order like 10 or 15 singles of songs hey I never knew this was done by this group but that's a cool song now I have it in the original format so uh,
1: i thank I Andrew for that <laughs> yeah and happy birthday Andrew belatedly yeah, yeah. and uh, I should mention too that Andrew was the co-producer uh one of the main people behind um the uh Left Bank compilation in 94 um that turned me onto the left bank so um you know i i wrote him yesterday and said, thank you for making me do all this crazy stuff you know <laughs> I, I saw what he was doing oh that's a that's a good gig and some years later i find myself doing it as well so uh yeah and i do recommend come to the sunshine i have discovered the critters through that site and um the H- honey bus um you know there's there, again go search this music out All the, all these bands that were you and I are discussing, Mark. It's like the, there's something in there for everyone. And that's part the, of the, the thing I like also yeah. is even if they
0: play a group that you might like, you know, like you mentioned the Rolling Stones or the Beach Boys or something. he will do a show that will be the more obscure stuff instead of, yeah. you know, the typical Pet Sounds or Surfing USA or whatever. It'll be something from Friends or 2020 or something even more obscure. Just, you know, the, the show that fascinated me because I was never a huge, huge fan. Was the Four Seasons, where uh, you know the early stuff everybody knows, "Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry," you know all that stuff, and then they did these really kind of psychedelic sounding albums in the late '60s, and it's like, whoa, you know, uh, because I know the early hits, and then I know the '70s comeback with the disco stuff, you know, "Oh What a Night" and all that stuff, but you know, there's like all these bands seem to have this lost year if they didn't transition well like the Beatles did, and it's it's really fascinating to discover that stuff that you know, it wasn't kind of necessarily flash in the pan. They actually really tried, you know. Some were a little bizarre than others, you know, like I think Rick Nelson even did stuff, and I I forgot all the ones that did. But some of the results are fascinating.
1: Yeah, one uh, episode he did was uh, on Little Anthony and the Imperials when it was just the, I think it was either just Little Anthony or the Imperials, and they went, basically kind of did a Left Bank-esque album. And yeah. it's very good. It's kind that's, of stunning. I also will recommend The Fifth Estate, uh, yeah. who some folks will know from Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Well, there was so much more to that band. And their producers were Steve and Bill Jerome, who produced that first Left Bank album. And their arranger was John Abbott, who, who arranged that first Left Bank album. So, you know, it, it's, again, the crate is endless, you know, and that's part of what I enjoy about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I'm doing a little research before this show today is like... Um, I noticed on Wikipedia, that bastion of accuracy that everybody loves, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that there were kind of like two almost reunions with the Left Bank uh, post-2013. And one they mentioned was in 2015, and one was in 2018. Can
1: you go into more detail on on those? Well, that was after Tom bowed out of the band, and George formed a new version of the Left Bank with Sam Kogan, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And their plan was to have Steve and Michael, involved in that project. They were, you know, in talks with both. um, And sadly, Michael passed away before anything could happen with that. They did perform at the tribute concert for Michael Brown, in 2015. And then in 2018, uh, they went down and they met up with Steve in Florida at old uh, Dairy Down, which had been a venue that Graham Parsons had played in the early 60s, and essentially ran through and um, woodshedded a lot of the left bank songs and uh if you heard any of it there was a lot of conversation a lot of talk but the plan was okay this is the start and then eventually we'll get steve on board more or we'll get him you know to a point where he can do this live and we can do this live with him and then within a couple months uh george came down with lung cancer and passed away i believe in may or june of 2018 and I received an email. I was in Winston. I can tell you where I was. I was in Winston-Salem working, um, a sports writers convention. And, um, I got an email from Tom Finn that said, Daniel, George passed away and I just kind of had to stop. I just had to like go back to my hotel room and just kind of, I, I just, that hit me so hard cause I didn't know he'd been ill. Um, I, you know, I just, I didn't want to be around people have them watch me break down. So, uh, um, it was yeah, uh, that's the thing uh, again I, I I mentioned earlier, I still hear these guys in my head, and uh I miss them dearly I think any any of those of us who knew any of these guys we we miss them dearly and but thankfully, what they did and what they created is on all these songs. those songs will live forever, so uh so yeah it, it there's a lot of almost in the history of the left bank, and that those almost stretch as long as the band the history itself but it's thank God, the music yeah. survives These, and we're still finding more music yeah um were you at that 2015 show that you mentioned or, or? i was not and <laughs> i don't have a lot of regrets in my life but i i regret not being here. yeah well especially uh, I,
0: considering what
1: happened i mean since there were more
0: opportunities after that so
1: i had invitations from george i had invitations from tom and george to be at michael brown's memorial and i couldn't bring myself to be there partially because i i knew as a photographer you know my my other one of my many other lives is still photography i would want to meet and photograph all these people um all of whom i had always heard about had never met like renee was there the lady at that, respo- that inspired walk away renee was at <laughs> michael's memorial and there's just not a place for a in a memorial like that for a camera that's people have said what's what's your limit and like that's my limit um but I would love to have been there but I knew that it would be and also um some of the guys knew like Tom and George knew me but the family didn't know me as well at that point so I I didn't want to um ingratiate myself that way now I will say Yvonne has told me since she's like I met Michael and his family at that 2013 show at Joe's pub. Mm-hmm. And she said, Oh, Michael really liked you. You really like talking to you. It's just like, that's mind blowing. I, you know, as a photographer, you're, you're, you, know, you you're, you're taught, you know, you believe to stay behind the camera and stay, you know, kind of um, don't, don't, you know, overly, uh, 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 you know, don't um, make too much of yourself. Essentially. Yeah. So when you hear things like that, it's like, Oh, wow. I, I guess I did something good. Yeah. So, well, sometimes uh,
0: friendships develop, but I maybe mean, you never know.
1: So Yeah, I really um, treasured getting uh, to know Yvonne and her family and, and all that. And I, hopefully I'm being a good steward for these songs. Um, and I, I'm thrilled that we've be, been able to find so much that um, a lot of songs they didn't even know about. You know, it's, it's amazing when you suddenly start diving through these things and you go, oh, my God, there's even more here than I even thought would be one of the songs that I we found recently from the 20 sorry the 2001 recordings was a song that Tom Finn told me about 20 years ago mm-hmm. and one day on the phone Yvonne mentioned that song and I was at, I just said I just stopped and I said you've just answered a question I've had for 20 years and it's true <laughs> so uh so yeah it's 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 been a like again like much of the last 2 years it's been a journey but um what we have found and what we've been able to do on this journey has um has been wonderful. It really has.
0: Now, coming up to the present, since the original members are all gone, uh, but there are some Latter-day members, uh, is there any possibility of any sort of group rising up from the ashes to use the Left Bank name, or is that all done in the past now because there's no original continuity Some, you know i'm saying more like something like the coasters or something in the eight spots where they kept going even when they had no more original members and things like that or even jefferson airplane difference in starship that that's an example you know they don't have any of the
1: original members anymore and
0: they still perform
1: so that's a good question i <laughs> i don't know um okay. i and i think everybody who's involved you know the, the families of all the band members would might have different things to say um for me, the left bank will always be those four guys yeah. in various configurations. So um, I, I don't know, but for me personally, speaking for me personally, you know, uh, those four guys will always be the left bank.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I will agree with you on that. I was just curious yeah. about if there's rumblings like if you're putting out a new release, hey, maybe we should get together and tour with something, you know, and you know, kind of tour this album or something, even though it's not the official original members or something like that. But,
1: you know, nothing that I've heard, nothing that I know of. um, But I again, I do hope that this release, the Strangers on a Train release with the High Flyer songs or the Airborne songs uh, allows for more releases down the road. Is it a year or two? Is it more years? I don't know. But um, we what what I have found in the uh, searching for more recordings, there's much more here than I even knew about as, as you know, I, I started this project as a fan of the band for 20 years.
2: Right. And
1: what we found in the last 18 months still amazes me. Yeah. And what we're still finding amazes yeah. me. So even if they're out on stage, I hope people get to hear these songs somewhere.
0: Yeah. I would say this, you know, like at least Walk Away with Renee is enough of a, you know, iconic song that I'm sure there are cover bands performing that too out there you know somewhere but you know yeah, it's, it's just a kind of an interesting thing just because you know even the Beach Boys will use them as an example now they're introducing their sons and the, you know it's like it, it seems like it's it, they're trying to make it a family thing that once all the principals are dead and buried you know it'll continue on That there'll be Beach Boys mania, as it were, you know, and not all groups do that. But, you know, it just, you know, know,
1: and that's, that's a hard line for those of us, you know, we, you know, I was reflecting on this recently after Billy Henchy passed away and Billy was part of the Beach Boys band that I first saw in 1983. And while I still enjoy going to see Mike and Bruce as the Beach Boys, I enjoy seeing Brian and Al and Blondie go out as Brian. um, It's different. So you kind of every like anything in life. Everything, any group, any situation is a little different. So I think it works for some groups. I'm not sure it worked for groups like the left bank, where all the personalities as as unique. eventually they were all so unique and all very original on their own on their own terms. Um, to have those not on stage in some in, in any way um, would just be different.
0: Right. We might have to flash forward like 200 years, long after we're gone. That you know, it'll be a resurgence of just general 60s music. You know, let, let's do 60s music from the 20th century, just like we perform Beethoven or Mozart or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, um, because I, I can envision that in the future, and people will people dress up, dressing the part. You know, the Baroque type sound. And,
1: you know, doing yes. The, the you frilly know, outfits and. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to wear a similar kind of outfit for a, for a book um, for a book I did a few years ago about the North Carolina rock and roll scene in the 60s and it was like all black with ruffles I said this is like if Johnny Cash joined the Left Bank I'm in I'm so in <laughs> um so uh yeah it's funny now i think about as a kid growing up you know i'm second generation 60s fan i was born in 1972 Mm -hmm. so i grew up in the 80s going wow the 60s man that was like 20 years ago and now it's 55 years ago the way i looked back then at at big band is the way now people look at the 60s yeah and um that still kind of does my head in every so yeah. often but you know what the music has endured and yeah. people ask me how how is it that people are still fascinated about about the music the music's still good yeah. you know create good stuff and people will find it yeah. so no matter what the era you know of course you're talking to somebody who's a massive marx brothers fan who has you know yeah. um all these different things um you know my hat over here is from 1926 and uh but uh, you learn to. Yeah, I've always said I, I try not to draw lines in what I like in life. Yeah, uh, if something talks to you, no matter what the era, um, no. talk back to it, listen to it, and right. I just uh, thankfully, I the '60s still talks to still talks to me.
0: People always say, oh, you're being nostalgic. How can you be nostalgic, especially in your case for something that you weren't even alive? You know? Exactly. <laughs> in like, my you know, case, like, I was a baby. You know, I was born at the tail end of 66. So, you know, the first my first memories are from like 1970s. So I don't even remember the sixties at all, you know. So <laughs> and, well, it's
1: kind of like for those of us, you know, I have a lot of friends who love the eighties, who weren't really around for the eighties. Yeah. And if you come to me, I'm like, no, I survived the eighties. I don't want to re- relive that. But, you know, again, I am a second generation fan. I am fully aware that my view of the 60s is very different from what it was like for these guys to be living and touring and being a rock and roll band in the 60s, dealing with it night in, night out. It's very different than what many of us have an idea of, but they created good work, and that's what drew us in.
0: Well, I mean, both the 60s and 80s, it's fun to listen to just the music and not remember all the... You know the assassinations in the '60s, or uh, you know what happened in the '80s. You know, just you know, just. Big changes in you know uh, rich versus poor and things like that. Yeah. To say something general, you know, everything. It, got it, bigger. everything the yeah. hair, uh, clothes have all got
1: beard. You better. know,
0: it's like you know, yeah, I like the 80s, but I didn't love, love, love the 80s. You know, I I like the music from it, but it's just like the 60s. You know, it's like I love the music, but when you really get into it, it's like why did they do that? Why did they censor that? Why did they kill that person? Why? You know, it's like, and you know, I don't like to go down that path very often, even though I study it. Just to be aware
1: of it. Yeah. It, was, it was heavy stuff. And that yeah. was one of the things um, in the book I mentioned. It's called uh, There Was a Time, Rock and Roll in the 1960s in Charlotte and North Carolina. Available on Amazon, by the way. Um, <laughs> I had a chapter called Murder in My Heart for the Judge. And it was all about these stories that these kids had about the stuff they dealt with. Um, yeah. And some of the s- stories were very similar to the song that inspired Murder, Murder in My Heart by, uh, for the Judge, which was a Moby Grape song. And I wanted them, that was an important book for me because I realized it's not my story, it's their story. So that book is is multiple interviews woven into a larger narrative, but it's long form. Meaning that everybody has a chance to speak and tell their story, which is what I wanted. It was a type of book that you just don't see anymore. Most books now, as you know, are single narrator. And Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of publishers want. And I realized early on that that's not the book that I wanted to write. You know mm-hmm. the, the the stories needed this version, and eventually I published it myself through um, Fort Canoga Press, which uh, mm-hmm. is a, 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 an imprint name I'm very proud of because it's a lot of projects that I again I I've created things that I wanted to see other people do. I just happen to be the ones the one doing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I the stories and even now people say, oh, you know what happened around this or that. It's like it's still amazing, you know, because mm-hmm. you know. Take it totally out of the context of the world we live in now. There's no cell phones. There's no any of the things that we accept as day-to-day normalcy now, you know, pre, especially pre-pandemic. And um, it's, it's still like, wow, that really happened. And you were a teenager. What the heck? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, again, uh, I, I love hearing these stories and collecting these I'm glad I didn't have to live through it, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I've gotten to hear these stories.
0: Right. Is there a chance, going back to the left bank, uh, first of all, is there a book just on the left bank, to your knowledge?
1: There is not. Okay. Um, there has been a couple different sure. uh, you know, books that have mentioned their story. Sure. Um, I'm going to mention an interview that Richie uh, Unterberger did in the '90s. Yep. One of the first. I was going to say, happened. if anybody
0: wrote it, would probably be him. But you know.
1: Yeah. he did an yeah. interview with Michael Brown in the late '90s. I think it was on his Wayfaring Tr- uh, Strangers book. It was the first yep. Michael Brown interview I'd ever read. Hmm. and uh, Michael didn't do a lot of interviews. I was never able to sit down and talk to him. Hmm. You know, I have interviews at length from Tom and George and Rick Brand, and other people who were involved with the band. I could never uh, reach Steve Martin Caro as well. Hmm. But um, there is some information out there, but uh, one thing that um, Alan Merrill, who some of you all will know, is um, the the guy that co-wrote Joan Jett's biggest hit, but there was a point where he was in the left bank for about three months uh, or several weeks in about 1968 um, mm-hmm. and then went off and became a big star in Japan. And I told him I was working on a story in the left bank, and he said, good luck. Um, the story of the left bank is like Rashomon. It's like it is just, it, 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 the, the, the perspective changes with each person. And he's, he's absolutely right. So there are some things that have been written, but to get a um, uh, left bank story, you have to get it from all sides. And that is, um, that takes some work. I'd like to see someone do it. It's something I've toyed with myself for some time. Uh, I don't know if it'll be this year. I think, uh, now that we've gotten this release out, I I have some other projects. I need to work on, including the new album from the circle that we're, we'll hopefully have done (laughs) soon. Um, well, we've mentioned mentioned that as well. And I've got a, a large photo exhibition that opens next month. So, but um, to anybody who is out there and wants to write the story of The Left Bank, go do it. Uh, I <laughs> and then it. also,
0: you know, I assume that there's no, like, real video
1: documentary of any sort of the group, correct? There is. I can... And precious um,
0: little video footage of the band, probably a few performances here and there, but,
1: you know... It, If you search on YouTube, you'll find a performance of them on the Larry Kane show in 1967 that ran on VH1 in 1986, has never been seen or found again. Um, They were on Where the Action Is uh, with Jeff Winfield. Uh, You can find that online. Um, There's also a performance of them on a show in New York doing a live vocal with a um, taped backing of Shadows Breaking Over My Head I can't believe I'm blanking on the on the uh the show now but it is on YouTube do recommend it and then it's not online but there is the footage that I found the 3 minutes of silent footage of the band uh taped February 25th 1966 uh as they taped an episode of Disco Teen which was a show hosted by zacherly on channel 40 47 in New Jersey so uh it is out there but that is it yeah. um and to anyone who has more or knows of more Please contact me. Please contact um, uh, anybody associated with the left bank. Um, You know, we want, this stuff needs to survive. It seems like
0: if you were able to tie it together and license it together and then do a few interviews and commentary, you could probably get at least a good half hour to maybe an hour, you know, about them, you know, uh, you know even yeah, clips I, from this podcast you know discussing yeah, the history yeah. and stuff
1: like that. yeah and, so, and you know. there's there's various yeah. interviews that they did you can find online uh, 2011 and 2012 i know i have about two hours of audio interviews with both george and tom and then um i sadly did not record my interview with rick i wish i had but i i wrote it out <laughs> in longhand. Cause he called me one night. I just had come back from work and I picked up the phone and it's like, hey Daniel, it's Rick Brand, you want to talk? So I just like yes and sat down on the floor and okay. wrote his whole interview out in longhand. Um so and if you've seen my handwriting that's that's probably not a good thing. But that's, <laughs> that's what it was. And um so there's there's definitely pieces of the story out there yeah. so It'd be uh, interesting
0: if that could somehow be compiled in the next few years or something
1: like that but i
0: would love to i'm just, just throwing yeah. it out there you know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah because as you know you and i are working on so many different projects so it's like you know it's
1: like oh geez so you know, i'd love to see it i don't know if i'd want to put yeah. one together but
0: and i don't
1: <laughs> I don't know if you have this problem, Mark, but I have a horrible problem saying no. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, darn, I want to see that happen. Well, I don't have time for it, but yeah, I'll do it anyway. Well, so, yeah, um, I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. that yeah. happens too. Yes, <laughs> It's like, I don't want to work on this, but oh, uh, since you're asking, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get it. Okay. So I guess that's pretty much everything we're going to talk about. I, mean, I, I You mentioned the circle. I was going to bring it up. so. Yes. Talk briefly about that. That'll probably be in our next podcast, uh, probably talking about them and their history and everything. But
1: talk uh, about what le- you're working with them. That has been an amazing story. So uh, in 2018, I met the Circle at a show in Van Wert, Ohio, which was as remote as it sounds. And I realized it was a really good band there. It was two original members, Don Danneman, the singer and guitarist, and Mike Loscamp, the uh, keyboardist that joined after the Beatles tour. He's on um, uh, Neon and the Minx soundtrack. And I realized there's something that could be done. Somebody should do make the album that the circle was making in 1968 that they never, that Columbia, never compiled and finished. And I realized that suddenly, well, yeah, somebody should make that record. What if it's me? And I, I pitched it to him and they said, you're crazy, but yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> and, um, and in March of 2020, we got together in Ohio, um, literally the weekend before the world went crazy to record six songs including new versions of red rubber ball turn down day uh, the visit and a song that they were pitched by paul simon in 1966 feeling groovy Mm -hmm. um, that they they turned down so we found (laughs) out and recorded all these years later and as i knew they had been playing it live it wasn't planned to be recorded that day and i just said hey by the way run through this See, see if it works. It was basically, you know, start the recording session. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And it worked. So uh, we released those all as singles in the last year. And now we've, um, between Don and the rest of the band and uh, what we've been working on, it's, we have more than a full album now that we hope to have done in the next couple months. Uh, including a couple of surprises. Um, but one, uh, one I which I do not want to get into just yet. We'll save that for a later podcast. Um, but one it does involve Andrew Sandoval, Very so cool. uh, and some members of the band that are no longer with us, but um, may well be part of this album. So and if you could, uh, if you could bring Andrew with you next time you're on the show, I would love have. to do that. Like, <laughs> Kind of because of the pandemic i only got to wave at him at uh this yeah. last monkeys tour um he and i have a lot to catch up on but andrew stays very busy he's apparently getting ready to work on another book yeah. and i hope he's doing okay i wish him well i'm always thinking of him so uh, he's doing okay i mean know. i saw
0: his uh i got his monkeys book his huge tome looks like a
1: fantastic
0: full book. and uh, <laughs> the last time i saw him in person though was at a peter tork solo concert this has been six years ago, 2016, I guess.
1: So five years ago, but six years. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrew's not that much older than I am. He's, he just had his birthday yesterday. My birthday's in November. So we're both preparing for our 50th anniversary reunion yeah. the end of the Um But you know, he and I both share that perspective of we weren't there for the 60s, but we grew up with this music. And it's <laughs> something, it's literally, it's, it's part, we grew up with it so much it's part of our DNA. Yeah, And, and uh, he's somebody that while I don't get to talk to very often and even get to email correspond with him very often, I, I'm, I know he's doing great things. And yeah. uh, that's always good to know. So, uh, yes, if we could get together for podcast, I would I would do it yesterday. Yeah. I would <laughs> love to have a conversation with him. But, yeah. Andrew, if you're listening someday, yeah. hope you're doing well.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I guess to wrap it up, uh, you know, you can just re- repeat all the kind of stuff to come out that's coming out about the left bank and any projects you're working on and any websites and contact information, like that stuff. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, so as I mentioned, this uh, Strangers on a Train, um, now finally issued um, through Omnivore Recordings on February 25th. That CD also includes six songs that Mike and Steve recorded in 2001. You can also get those songs separately as the High Flyer EP or as part of the complete um, Strangers on a Train CD. Again, February 25th. Um, please uh, you know, uh, check with me on DanielCostin.com for updates um definitely any place where you follow the left bank watch that space there's 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 more to come so uh, i also mentioned the official left bank uh fan page which tom started in 2010 and is now run by cookie who was their fan club president in 1967 and god bless her so uh yeah, thank you cookie thank you everybody uh, who has been part of the left bank story again um check thecircle.com for updates on our new album. Uh, we'll be posting updates soon. Um, if you're in anywhere near Shelby, North Carolina in the next six, seven months, I'll be doing an exhibition of Avett Brothers photos. This is the first time that the I photographed the first Avett Brothers records, and they have. I am the first person they've given permission to do a show of this size that is just about focusing on them that doesn't involve their own work. So um, it's called Symphony for the Road and you can uh, go see it at the Earl Scruggs Center opening on February 7th, 2022 and it'll be up for six months. Um, on my own, I am working on this and that and um, again, uh, you find me, uh, Daniel Coston on Facebook, danielcoston.com, uh, Daniel Coston Photos on Instagram. Come by, say hello. Hope you're doing okay. Cheers. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure having you as a guest and look forward to having you again and maybe understandable uh, (laughs) to discuss anybody and everybody from the 60s or The Circle or whatever you want to talk about when you're all on here. It's fine, you know, and, uh, you know, we talk about anything. We could even talk about Marx Brothers sometime on here, you know. I would love uh,
1: to discuss the Marx Brothers. So I currently have two autographs of theirs (laughs) on my desk of Chico and Zeppo. Uh, I also have a program that I found on Etsy last year uh, from their first Broadway show. And uh, I'll say she is, and it's in glorious, you know, programs in glorious color and uh, things like that. Um, It doesn't matter what era inspires you as long as it inspires you. So, uh, you know, keep searching, keep digging. We'll save that for another time. So thank you again, Daniel, for bringing on the show and
0: that wraps up another fun ideas podcast. We'll see you soon. See you, man. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Daniel Coston, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 149 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.